All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Pranay Prakash, who is the creator of Windsor. Pranay, welcome to the show. How's it going? Pretty great, pretty great. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, thanks for yeah, excited to have you on and jamming on your company. And kind of with that, let's just dive right in. For people that don't know, what are you working on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the goal with Windsor is to give startups a way uh, to sort of see a complete picture or like a story of uh, each of their users. Uh, it, it's all just like a dashboard that lets you see everything that matters about a user and gives you an action and lets you kind of take action on top of that. Uh, we sort of looked at all the different SaaS tools out there and kind of realized that every other tool that exists has something else that's the primary entity, right? So you have like for Stripe, it's transactions or for Zendesk, it's tickets. And you have a bunch of different SaaS tools and startups today use a lot of SaaS tools, but ultimately founders or product managers or account executives, a lot of people at a company aren't dealing with those things aren't their problems. It's a user that's their problem. So we wanted to kind of take all this data that SaaS tools have, but then put the person in the middle or like, you know, put the person in the center and make it about the user. So is this kind of a way where almost like in a company like Crunchbase, I can filter based on, you know, a company is this many employees, it's based in this, you know, in this location, it's in this category. Can I kind of do the same with, with Windsor? Like, can I, can I almost filter down individual users or people? Or can you just walk through kind of the UX on, on how someone uses Windsor? Absolutely. So Crunchbase is actually a really good example, uh, though I haven't thought about that in the past. Uh, and if you, if you think about just what you talked about with Crunchbase, there's a few different things going on, right? So first, you can filter and find a user by whatever, the property, whatever those properties are. You might want to find them by some rank, find them by location, find them by company, you know, find them by the amount of money they raised. And then for a company, you know, or once you find a profile on Crunchbase, you then have all this, uh, just like their profile. So you have their bio, you have their location, you know, like what stage they're at, how many employees they have. You, know, you have those facts about the person, those facts about the company. And then you go further down, you can dive into like all the events. You can see all the funding rounds they had and like who their investors were. Uh, you can see, you can even like see their tweets or, you know, there's like media, uh, media articles about them and stuff like that. Uh, and with Windsor, it's probably exactly the same thing, but for a company looking at its own users, you filter, uh, find a user by whatever like makes sense. It could be a name, an email address, location, like the GitHub ID, whatever you have on, the, on a person, find their profile on Windsor, see all the data that you have about them, you know, cross SaaS tools, cross database, everything you know about that user, and then kind of dive in and look at every single event, see transactions that have failed or succeeded, see the tickets that they opened, you know, and if, like, if you've responded, see there were product usage. Uh, yeah. So I have to ask the question that you probably get all the time and you probably hate it, but I have to ask because I know that, that I'm curious and I think people listening are curious too. It, can you explain the, how this, I guess, how does this work in tandem with something like another analytics tool or would you even consider this an analytics tool? I guess you got a big ecosystem of tracking apps. Where does this play in, in that whole world? Absolutely. Uh, we integrate, primar- we primarily integrate with analytics tools, but in a way we're also an analytics tool, so you're not wrong about that. Uh, the, the, the fundamental difference uh, that we 
that we we kind of saw lacking uh, when we looked around, and there are a lot of analytics tools out there. What we what we what we couldn't find was one where it was about where it was about users individually. So I could quite easily find an analytics tool and set up a graph. You know, like look at my monthly revenue, like my MRR, my MRR, or even look at my daily active users. Look at how many users have been like using a specific product, or see. Uh, funnels of onboarding and like what percentage of users like do something um, and what's common with all of those analytics or like those examples that I just gave you are they're always about aggregates of users uh, but there is a market out there uh, especially you know new startups are always have just a few users and we find that analytics tools talking about hundreds of thousands of users and just talking about percentages uh, is almost like a little too much when you start you have a few users and you want to know exactly how they use your product so when we do analytics, our approach is looking at exactly what a specific user is doing. So I could jump into Windsor, find Matt, and then I would figure out you know, how active you've been in the, in the past week, what your trend of usage is, what features like you use more often than others. Right? And it like, really helps for context. Like one, one quick example of why this uh, is, so, is so useful in a different context from when you would use uh, another analytics platform is if uh, you gave me feedback for a product, uh, I could quite easily jump into Windsor and just tell how much you've used that feature. Like, are you, have you just tried out this feature and is this your first impression? Or are you like a diligent user and you know, after trying this for a while, like, you're giving me feedback kind of based on a lot of experience. And that helps me figure out like how I want to value your uh, feedback as well. But that's something that you already have this data, but no other analytics tool will sort of let you dive into that detail. That's so interesting. Would you describe this product is almost like do you position it as we'll do like more qu not qualitative analytics but like we'll do your analytics for your first hundred or first thousand users um and then once you get to a certain scale is it is it less useful or do you are you all across the board i, I guess i guess um I'm, I'm actually very interested in this this us uh, people assuming that you're similar in to like a mixed panel or a heap, but you're actually not, and you just described how you're not. And I think there's a huge need for the niche that you that you're filling. But how do you convince people that you're different? Like, what's your marketing like, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, uh, precisely. That's a, that's a really good question. And so we sort of realized, you know, it, it obviously didn't start this way, and it took us a lot of time to figure out who our customer was. And that kept switching around. Uh, we focused on like developers for a while, and then try to focus on product managers and they switched around for a little bit. Uh, but we realized, yeah, uh, the startups that have their first hundred users, obviously Winter was super useful to them. Um, a, a lot of these are B2C companies and you know, once they scale, it's a little harder for you to go and look at every single user's profile. Uh, but we started to realize that B2B businesses, even large B2B businesses often just have a few users and you have customer success or you have account executives whose job it is to just maintain like 10, maybe like 20 customers, uh, check in on their activity, have, have like frequent interactions with them. So the, the segment that we're finding good fit with, I suppose, is uh, high touch companies. We see a lot of these today. It's both, it's not just B2B companies, it's primarily B2B companies that obviously have a few big contracts and want to spend a lot of time with those customers. Uh, but it's also uh, this new breed of like concierge companies where we have people that do like uh, sleep coaching or like personal fitness coaching. Uh, we have like, you know, something like magic or superhuman where you have a very personal experience for a few, uh, for a few, for a few people and 
rather than just you know scaling quietly, you want to have a really good experience for a few people. Uh, we have a few companies like that uh, that, that the Windsor like really works well with as well. And uh, another question that I have. Uh, um, well, actually, before I ask that question, um, so you correct me if I'm wrong, but you have uh, did Windsor go through uh, YC or like, if I remember correctly, did you have you gone through YC? And I'll I'll, I'll mention yeah, why. Yeah. Cool, you we did. did. Yeah, yeah. So, is it just like a a you know a candy shop? The fact that like you have a software that pretty much every you know most of every other startup in YC could probably use and get benefit out of because everyone's like, you know, early ish. Um, I guess did, did this spread like wildflower within the YC community or how does that work selling to other companies in the batch when you have what they need? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And we, we saw a lot of that happening during YC, which I think kind of inspired what we were building. Uh, but you know, fortunately, unfortunately, when we were actually in the batch uh, during YC, this wasn't what we were working on. Uh, not this specifically anyway. We were, we were still trying, kind of figuring out ideas. Uh, we'd gotten into YC with a very, very different version of this. The, we were connecting a whole bunch of different tools and we were trying to build for developers back then. It was a little extension for your, your IDE that would sort of pull in this data from Sentry and pull in data from GitHub and uh, try to connect this and be a useful assistant to you while you're coding. So it was a very different kind of tool. Uh, having access to YC was, was really beneficial for us then. Uh, and it really would be beneficial for us now. Uh, and so now we obviously don't have like these weekly dinners where I can see a hundred people and so like ask them for feedback on my laptop, which is kind of what we were doing back then. Uh, but it's still, in a way, I still have a lot of uh, my network from back at YC, friends who've been really useful for feedback and I, I, yeah, I meet new people every day just from the YC network uh, today. Uh, it's a little bit different, but having YC has been incredibly helpful for a company that sells to other startups. Yeah. And I saw on your website that you also uh, went through Pioneer, which is, you know, I had Daniel Gross on the podcast uh, in one of like the first 10 guests. And I'm kind of see, I, I'm starting to see this, this interesting trend of, a, I wouldn't call it a trend, but, um, there's these things popping up. You got the Teal Fellowship, you got Pioneer, you got Y Combinator, you, you got, you know, just these almost new school credentials that I, I, I that's kind of how I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm kind of interested as you're, you're, or, you know, you have some of these credentials, you probably know what I'm talking about. You yeah. know, like, what are your, do you have any thoughts on just credentials of the 21st century? and what that means for the, just the future. Like, what are your thoughts on credentials, if you don't mind going into that? That's a good question, Matt. Um, I think, if I'm not wrong, I actually remember a, an earlier uh, podcast you did. I don't remember who it was with, but you sort of mentioned, uh, I think that in, in a way, people are start, you know, uh, accelerator programs today are just because it's so easy to start a, start a company today. We're almost, uh, attracting like different talent or uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. I, guess it, so I, like I know what you're talking about. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think, I, I, I think I very much agree with that too. And uh, this, this wasn't something that, we, that is just us. I, I know quite a few people from YC who haven't felt this way where 
as you have more programs like this and more of them are credentials, people, so it's for some people, you know, you treat it as a credential. Uh, we know, we know businesses or even industries that really benefit from having your company have like a VC stamp or have a Techstar stamp. Um, in a way that is both a little concerning, but I, I think it's also sort of natural when you build something like YC that has uh, the reputation that it has. For me personally, it's been less about the credentials and just more about those two experiences have been great. Uh, with YC, the network that YC comes with and the advice that YC comes with and Pioneer is very much the same way. We were one of the first that got into Pioneer. It was the very first back. So we didn't have the network back then. It was just Daniel Gross. And I think at the time it was like fewer than 20 people that had like, you know, just won the first batch and uh, there was no like active community, but you know, it's built up over time. Uh, Daniel's great at doing like weekly office hours and it, it feels very much like just two really good, super active communities today in a way and, and, you know, obviously being a company that also sells to startups, this is super useful for us to have people that can give us feedback and uh, just meet people like in our customer base, I guess. Yeah, I I get that. Um, I guess like something I, I just am continuing to wrap my head around and I don't have full thoughts on it yet, but, you know, in the from 1900 to 2000, the, the credential was like really, you know, it was just mainly college and like you know if you went to harvard you know that's a big deal yeah. and it still is right it still is a big deal but <coughs> excuse me but because of the internet and you know it took us maybe 30 years or 20 years to figure it out but there are these just new credentials that are being created and i think they're great because what what it means is like i can if i see someone's like a pioneer or at least even knows what pioneer is in my head it's almost like a function. They fit in a, in a certain, like it's actually more like an object. Like they fit in like, great. So like this is the type of person I know that I'm talking to because they even know what pioneer is. And if I see someone that, you know, they were a pioneer and a teal fellow and this and that and this, it just, it, I don't know. It's something about it just makes me think it's like of the future and just the, what the future potentially means. And like in 50 years, we'll, being a YC grad and, a, and you know, a pioneer and whatever else is built, will that matter more than being a Harvard, a Harvard, uh, you know, business school graduate? Does it mean more now? Uh, I don't know. Like, um, uh, just one more question on this topic. I'm kind of yeah, like, it's yeah, just yeah. like, I don't know. It's interesting oh. to me. Yeah. But do you find that you, uh, well, actually let me back up. Are there any other examples of a YC or a pioneer that you've known of, that you know of that can be considered like this new school credential or something you may be taken part of something that's like valued by other people other than, you know, a college degree. Yeah. You know, so I've, yeah, I've actually had this talk in mind and in a very different way. Yes. I think there is another credential that I think often gets overlooked um, for anyone who's sort of uh, studied computer science in the past few years or graduated from university with computer science in the past few years. Uh, you might know that when applying for like, you know, full-time job or applying for an internship, your GPA is like almost never matter. Uh, the college you come from kind of does, but more often than not, getting that, getting that interview, you know, you start going to a career first, starting in line, getting an interview or like getting your full-time job really sort of depends on the internships that you've done before that. And so in a way, when you're in your like, I mean, in your senior year of college, which I was uh, a year ago, uh, 
every, you know, everyone's going around trying to find their job. And when you ask them what they've done, their, ex- their experiences are about like their last one or two internships. You know, someone who worked at Facebook, or someone who worked at Google, or someone who worked at a startup in San Francisco. So in a way, that's been really interesting where the credential for getting a job is like other work experience. Uh, it's not about your GPA or, you know, uh, or about what college you've gone to or what your degree is, but your credential is actually what experience you've had working other internships. And if you haven't done an internship, what open source projects have you like contributed to, right? That's super important too. And companies want, and companies kind of expect a lot of students to have some exposure to open source these days. And so those are starting to become really valuable uh, credentials. And I also really like where that's heading because um, I think Paul Graham saw, talks about this, has talked about this recently in an essay where you have tests that act as proxy for what skill they're actually testing for. But a better credential, obviously, you know, rather than what college you went to, or what your test scores are, a better credential uh, is what your actual experience of working on like code is, right? Um, yeah, I yeah. guess those are just my thoughts, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally into it. And it's one I don't think about that much, but you're totally on the money there. Um, it's almost it, almost like I'm envisioning that someone rebuilt LinkedIn, just like these, like instead of what your work, you know, career experience would be, it'd be like, tell us about the projects you've hacked. Tell us about the, you know, internships you've had. Tell, you know, like what ex- online accelerators have you gone through or whatever. I, I just, um, I, I do feel like something is going in the next 10 years is going to take advantage of the shift of credentialing and um, uh, I don't know why I'm so interested in it, but I just decided to talk about it with you. So I appreciate you you riffing with me for a second. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually sounds really cool. And another another thing of the topic is also coding boot camps. Obviously, you know we're seeing this today. Yeah, uh, coding boot camps becoming huge and becoming just like primary way you could uh, learn everything you need to. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really exciting time. I think. Do you have you seen much? of the coding bootcamp model in other industries other than coding, uh, you know, except for FlockJ, which is the only one that I know of, which is kind of like that for sales. Do you see the bootcamp model just kind of like could you, bootcamp for design, bootcamp for knitting, bootcamp, you know, is, do you see that happening? <laughs> is it, are you talking about bootcamp specifically or are you asking if uh, the ISA model is something that I've seen? Um, let's separate the two. So, yeah, cause okay. I think they're two, I think they're separate. So let's say boot, like right now, for whatever reason, coding boot camps are you know super hot, and they've been yeah. hot for a while, but now they're really hot. Um, could the boot camp model be replicated for other you know disciplines or other verticals, or is there something about coding that makes it only applicable there? And then we can go into the ISA stuff in a second. Absolutely, um, I think it has something to do with just yeah. If I had to guess, uh, if, if I had to guess, I'm, I'm probably a little bit naive here, but. So it has something to do with this programming being super accessible, right? Uh, of course, all you need is a laptop. Uh, and sometimes, you, yeah, if you don't have one, you can always like get one or loan one. And if you go to a coding bootcamp, the, you have access to one or you go to a library. Just the fact that it's so accessible. Uh, sales is another thing that also kind of makes sense there to me. Uh, like theoretical physics might be something where you could, you know, learn, or, or even like, or economics or accounting. Like things, if you went to business school, uh, at a university, I think quite a bit of that can be replicated in a in a boot camp because it's it's just trying to accelerate data or uh, trying to trying to accelerate you learning all that data. Whereas I think something's a little bit harder. Uh, so like harder engineering might be a little bit more difficult, where you need to have 
labs and so some physical experience. If you were trying to do a boot camp for medicine, that seems a little far fetched to me today. Uh, so I think it really depends on a few things that it could work for. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. I. I. I fully. I think I agree. I feel like it's it's boot camps or one of these things where it's it, it's just is packaging up learning in a accelerated way, uh, and uh, I think now that ISA is you know because you mentioned ISA is income share agreements are a thing. I feel like there is gonna be a ton of boot camps attempted, but I feel like most of the boot, those boot camps aren't gonna succeed because just because like the ISA makes it pretty much easy as hell to start a boot camp. It doesn't mean it doesn't make it easy to start a good boot camp though. Yeah. Um, like I even I like I don't know six months ago I started a boot camp for freelancers and like should I have done that. You know, maybe, maybe not. I, I I don't know if you can consider me a freelancer. Maybe I'm qualified, but like I did it. You know, it was, it was that easy. I just decided to do yeah. it. Made like a couple. You know, made some good money. Help people get some work. It was great. But should it be that easy? Should anyone be able to to start a boot camp? I know we're like way off. Like what your specific <laughs> like uh, you know like kind of vertical is, but like you. But I don't I know. Say, I, I love. Yeah, I, I just kind of love thinking about stuff like this though. So I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess, I guess, I, I guess, is there a point where the it becomes so the barrier to start a boot camp or a school is so low that it almost does damage to people to naive, not naive, but young, wide-eyed learners. Yeah, this this question is it's concerned me quite a bit because I've seen quite a few. Um, Quite a few developments. It's not so not with boot camps, but not just the boot camps. I guess uh, I, I don't want to get into this a little too much, but I've had I've had this feeling where sometimes education, or when when you had to pick between what resource you're going to use to learn something, and I, ha- I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I've written sort of an essay about just picking like good resources, because picking the wrong resource to learn from could almost be like a net negative on what you take away. Uh, for, for for some skills, it's almost better that you come into the skill not knowing anything than already having bad habits. You know, you hear that sometimes. Uh, and in a way, I'm I worry about that. And so, if you thought about what someone's looking for when they decide which boot camp they're going to go be a part of and spend their time like learning from, uh, and yeah, and, and so I'll just commit to a boot camp. Something yeah. You know, it's easy to make something that's a little bit more appealing, that's a little bit cheaper, uh, but has this better marketing and like prettier pictures. Those sorts of things are varying because it's really easy to game those and then get people to pick the wrong thing, right? And it's really hard to judge a product. Like you could go into a store and like look at two shirts and kind of like know which one like is better quality and which one you like better. But with boot camps, you don't know what you're getting till you're like 10 years into your life afterwards. And so it's really risky, I think. Um, and I'm not really sure what to do about that, but uh, it does concern me that it's a little too easy. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where the market will eventually sort itself out. And unfortunately, that's not going to be without any casualties. Um, yeah. I, mean, I even have a friend. <laughs> it's actually funny you, you mentioned it. Like, I have a friend that went to, like before Lambda School, I think even existed, there was this company um, in San Francisco, or no, it was Oakland. And one of my friends went there to learn to code. And it was like, no, don't pay anything 
up front, we'll take a part of your salary. But at this point, it's so funny because at this point, this was revolutionary to like, it was, it was crazy for me to hear. I couldn't believe that she was doing it. This is like, it's crazy how much has changed, but like this company got shut down and they like by the government or maybe not the government, but they, they were not doing good business. And my friend didn't learn much. And you know, she spent all this money flying up there, getting an Airbnb or whatever. And you know, she didn't like, it didn't work out, but now they're gone. And now yeah. Lambda School exists, and the Microverse exists, and you know FlockJ exists. And if they suck, then they won't exist in a decade. And if they are great, then they'll be ten times bigger. And I just think you need the market to play, the market forces to play. Unfortunately, as mentioned, like there will be some people that get screwed. But got to do your homework. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think you're right. Uh, it's so just like the effect of capitalism, right? Uh, in a long term, markets work out. Uh, definitely yeah they'll, they'll i think i think eventually we'll definitely have some sort of regulation it is education after all that we're talking about and uh but 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 what is really good about the isa model anyway just at its face value is your aligning incentives i think right so when you know, when you say 10 years from now uh lambda's cool is a little bit better than an other coding boot camp is better than other coding boot camp so you end up being bigger that's a good thing. Whereas with universities, that's not necessarily true uh, in the past. University that's around today might be good, but isn't just around here 200 years later because it was good. It's also because they had donations and they had like the right lobbyists. And there's a lot of other variables involved, but the incentives aren't as clear and transparent as it is with coding boot camps. So in the long run, yeah, I think, I think it's good to be a little optimistic here. Definitely. Uh, I have another question that is going, it's kind of switching topics, but it might be a topic sure. again that you, that isn't like something you spend every day thinking about. Um, so <laughs> if, if, if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to, but it just recently, like us talking about the credential kind of got me thinking about LinkedIn and how it, you know, everyone talks about that, you know, everyone's trying to like kill LinkedIn, but like no one's been able to kill it and it's still you know, bigger than ever, but also, but it's not a great product. It, it, you know, it doesn't win because it's a great product. It wouldn't because it has a great network. Uh, so I'm kind of just curious, uh, again, we don't have to go deep into this if you don't want to, but like, do you have any thoughts on LinkedIn, um, for people that are just starting their career now that may not value LinkedIn, like maybe a 35, 40 or 45 year old may value it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so what, what was the question exactly? I guess like, how do you think about LinkedIn? Like, like you're a founder, you're, you know, you're, 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 you know, you're early, but you're, you're very smart. Like, are you, are you on, do you spend time on LinkedIn or, um, or uh, yeah, just how do you think about LinkedIn as just like a startup founder who doesn't need someone you know, to hire you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I find that I use LinkedIn more today than when I actually did want someone to hire me as a, as a, as a student. Um, yeah, I, I think just among students, you know, just my perspective from being in a college environment uh, last year, uh, yeah, I guess two years ago now. Um, yeah, it's 2020 already. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, that's nuts, right? 2020, yeah. a new decade. Yeah, I feel like people have been looking forward to this for so long. It better be good. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, being, being in college, I feel like LinkedIn has definitely lost favor uh, just with people today. And uh, more, more people that I know are like not on LinkedIn and never need LinkedIn to find a job. And if anything, 
the number one thing I hear about people who use LinkedIn is complaining about just LinkedIn spam. So I totally get that. Uh, today, I find it more useful is just a way to find you know, find out and sort of the easiest way to do research is like how you might, you might use Crunchbase to kind of look into a company and get a feel for com the company and people involved. LinkedIn lets me like dive in a little bit deeper. You find like more people that work at a company, uh, find out like sort of how the hierarchy might look like and uh, sound like prospecting. So I, fi I find LinkedIn to be more useful for me today than it used to be, but it used to be for me. Yeah. Yeah. But for different reasons, right? I'm not using it as a way for me to get hired, obviously, but uh, I don't think I ever did use LinkedIn for that. Right. And you are, one, I, I, I feel like oftentimes the conversations for the first like 30 minutes, it's mainly focused on a product and the second half is mainly focused on a guest's you know, specific <laughs> interest. And that, we're just going all over the place here. So I, flow, I appreciate you, 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 uh, you hanging out with it. Um, I do want to now kind of shift a little bit um, to, uh, you know, back to, back to your company and back, back to you. Um, I'd love to know, you know, so you, you mentioned you, you went through YC, you are working on a different product now. You're still working on a product. And there was some sort of pivot that happened or some sort of change that happened uh, in between then and now or, or a new company was birthed. Can you kind of talk about what happened there? Uh, about, you know, when you, yeah, which what happened there and the fact that it was one company now it's something different. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So the story for us was, uh, I think this is pretty common with our batch or I guess even with YC in general is we, we sort of pivoted, uh, idea pretty hard, I think during YC. And then since then it's been constant iteration. Uh, what we like wanted, what we started working on after we pivoted, still feels so distant from what we're doing now, uh, just in terms of like the actual implementation. But it's the same. It's the same like core idea. It, like we started Windsor with the exact same reason from day one, which was uh, and, and the story sort of goes. I, my co-founder and I at the time, we were roommates back in college, and we had fun just building stuff in the past and. Uh, yeah, it's building like random other projects. So we kind of knew at some point, I think, that we wanted to start a company together, uh, but hadn't really gotten too much into it. And that was a long time ago. So fast forward to a few months before YC and like when Pioneer, I was really curious about just the fact that there was so much data online uh, out there, but with each like new service or each new tool, and I was, I was thinking of this from the developer's perspective at the time of like, you know, to make a product today, I need to use I mean, odd zero to do my authentication. I use GitHub to like actually host my source code, and I use a CI tool to you know test stuff. And I host it on site, or I host it on uh, Heroku, and you know there's a whole bunch of tools that I use. And so, wouldn't it be nice to find ways to connect all that? Like, what what could I do if I had if I broke down these walls, you know, you know, broke down these silos, I guess, of data that all these different tools had, because ultimately GitHub has a bunch of data on how you know how I use my repos and the CI does too, and uh, my deployment platform does too. How do I connect all this data between things? Uh, and 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 if I could connect all this data, what can I unlock? And so it was it was very vague since the beginning. It was I want to build an assistant that helps programmers as the code. Uh, using the power of their like private internet. The private internet, it, with my definition, is just all of the sources, all, all of the tools that they use that I would like need their logins for. Could I, I could authenticate to? What can I do with that data to help them? Um, 
when we actually got into YC, at least our implementation of it felt like uh, we had vague ideas, but couldn't really couldn't really narrow it down on like specific features or a specific product that would be super beneficial. It was well intentioned, but I think it was doomed to fail with just uh, us not knowing kind of what we were doing. I think at the time, and so we made the decision that our that our form factor was hard. Trying to build a desktop app was hard, so we wanted to switch to like a web app instead of a little Electron app. Uh, and also we didn't want to tie ourselves to developers, but at the time we were still kind of tied to developers and uh, also the kinds of sources. We realized there was so much more and this, and this came from YC. We just saw other companies, uh, every, every other company in YC was just learning how to use analytics tools on day one, right? They were all setting up segment and mixed panel or segment and amplitude or just amplitude. Uh, they were setting up some sort of error tracking tool, usually Sentry or Bugsnag. They were setting up their servers, they were getting all those logs, setting up uh, dashboards for themselves for, for the retool or Metabase. And there's a whole bunch of SaaS tools out here. So we realized there's so much more that we hadn't even considered in the beginning. Now we can connect all this so much more data. We kind of unlocked ourselves and got rid of this, uh, this Electron app UI that stuck to a text editor, which is what we were going for first. We would give ourselves the entire canvas of a web page and see what we could do now when we connect more data. Uh, out there and that's that's pretty much how we began i think got it that makes sense and now how do you kind of kind of going meta for a second you obviously I'm, I'm assuming use your own product on your own product meaning like internally that was the first milestone yeah yep 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 um which is awesome how do you think about what to build next? I guess going on the product development side of things, um, you know, this is a type of product where I'm sure you probably get pulled in many different directions by your users, one by what they say, but two by what they do, right? So how do you uh, kind of differentiate signal from noise and build the right thing? It's a really hard balance. And I think fundamentally, you just need to know what your limits are. You need to know what is and isn't in the product roadmap because if you let if you let users direct your product, uh, then you'll always end up either building something very very specific for them or something that was very different from what you started with. Um, that was one thing we were concerned about uh, as soon as we as soon as we actually like sat down and decided that we were pivoting. Um, and one thing we one constraint that we wanted to keep in mind always, uh, regardless of where the product went and sort of how we changed things, is that we enjoyed building it. And for us, we're both engineers. We always want to do this to just solve hard problems. And so as long as it's a hard problem, we enjoyed doing it. And it seemed like it made sense for what our vision was, was to like connect it, connect it in this way. And so be a fun challenge for us to figure out what we can do. And it kind of agreed with that mission. Uh, it would probably be okay. And it's, it's a pretty broad goal, but you'd be surprised with how many things you can filter out when you just look at, am I interested? Do I actually want to build this? Right? You just trust your gut sometimes because if it doesn't sound fun to you, then uh, it doesn't matter how profitable it could be. We just don't do it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the other constraint is being, does it like fit within the broader mission? And a lot of things actually don't. So That makes sense. Yeah, I, I like that. And uh, kind of if you looked out, a decade, uh, you know, so going through the process you just mentioned, you know, a, a billion times pretty much. Um, what, yeah. what do you have uh, if, if, if it works and it gets, and it, you just keep growing 
at a pace you want to grow at and uh, um, you just become a really big company. Uh, what is, what does it look like in a decade? What type of features do you have? What kind of impact are you making? Yeah, that's a really good question. And sometimes this feels a little distant. Sometimes uh, it can get hard to like remember exactly how uh, things are working on today are going to lead up to there. Just going to interrupt. This is, this is your permission to forget that you should be spending most of your time thinking about today and you can just literally daydream you can just just like forget about responsibility and just be like what you know what do i want it to be what could it be just like dream big even if it doesn't seem realistic today because it's not <laughs> yeah yeah no I, 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 absolutely it, it, it's just fun because sometimes sometimes when you're just working in the nitty-gritties you like you know can tend to forget about stuff like that uh, but for me i think what what would be really useful, I think, uh, yeah, what would be a really good benchmark that I would like to hit 10 years from now is the point where you call up a company, whatever, yeah, whatever it is, it's American Airlines or Comcast, you call up a company for customer support, and it was just like my dream, I suppose, is you call up American Airlines for support, and you and whoever picks up immediately like knows exactly what you've already tried, like knows that you know, you've tried... Uh, canceling or like changing the reservation like three or four times on your phone they know what you're trying you know what you try to do specifically which reservation you were trying to change and you know didn't work or what seat you weren't able to find because they have all this data uh, companies have all this data already they have your product usage they know what you like clicked around on they know uh, if your credit card transactions fail they know if you open up an email we have all this data already uh, but when you actually talk to anyone at a company no one knows your entire story and it really frustrates me every time I'm on you know, a conversation with someone in a company who doesn't know me as a user. Uh, people tend to forget who the individual user is until I get caught up with other things. So if I could call a company 10 years from now who is using Windsor and whoever picked up the phone within a minute could just figure out exactly what my story is and have this context, I think that would make everyone's experiences and everyone's lives a lot better. Uh, so the point where... I think companies get back to their roots if uh, focusing on news because small companies do. We kind of talked about this, right? Companies that really like Windsor today are a lot of startups that have just a few hundred users and are like very, very diligent about their users and so know everything about their users. But we forget that uh, at a later scale. And if we can solve that or bring that back and make it possible for large companies to scale to like millions of users, but still not forget individual people, that would be amazing. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, I, I like that a lot. I always that's one of my favorite questions. Just kind of hearing, hearing founders think big. And I know that most of the people that come on, they just like you, they do think big. And that might be like the reason why they first got into it. But it's easy to forget every day that you're yeah, absolutely. So it took me a second to remember why I'm doing this. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of it's kind of interesting because I feel this sometimes the same way with the podcast. You know, I decided it's probably over two months ago, and probably two months ago, I was going to do daily episodes. I don't even have a great reason. I just thought it would be a fun challenge to see if I can keep it up. And now that I'm two months in, and I went from you know thirty episodes just two and a half months ago to now I'm at 110. I'm just like damn, I should just, like, keep it up. Thank thank you. Uh, but it's just like. It's one of these things where it's easy to just get, you know, episode after episode, editing, putting a description, obviously talking to people is the, the best part of the whole, the whole thing. But 
it's easy to forget about the big, the big picture, the big vision. But I, I feel like it's like almost my responsibility to remind the guests that they're here for a reason. You can't forget yeah. that reason. What's what's your what's your vision? What's your big uh, reason? Um, podcast. Well, I think it's been changing. So the reason I started the podcast, you know, I I I, I kind of did used to cover this up, but I'm definitely open about it now. I was sick of getting rejected from Y Combinator, <laughs> the Y Combinator's accelerator. So yeah. like, it's and this is just literally just to the beginning. So like, I, I emailed I don't know twenty or thirty or forty. YC people to interview on the podcast simply because I wanted to like break into that network. Um, and I was just like, wasn't going to let them not let me, like, I was just going to do it myself. Um, and if you look at back on the, on the podcast, you'll see the first like 20 guests are YC companies. Now I don't have as many on I actually like you're, I, you're probably the first one I've had on. I'm like, I don't know, like 15 guests just cause I just have more get different types of guests on now. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but like the reason I started was to pretty much break into a network that I felt like I would never you know, be able to break into, but now, (coughs) but now it's, um, and actually in regards to that, like if I start a company, I get into YC great, but I also finally, because of the podcast, I don't think I care anymore. You know, it's like, you know, I have, I have the network now, which is like, that's just so fun. But like now it's, I feel like I have a platform and I feel like I can talk to people that no one's heard of and they come on the podcast and a few, a few more people have heard of them. And I like that. And I don't necessarily know what the 10 year vision is mm-hmm. um, because it's not really a company. Like, like, but if I have to tell you, it would be a link, it would be like a LinkedIn killer. Like it would be like in the realm of like, I, I find cool people in the world that most people don't know about and I'll bring them into a community and we all interact with each other uh, and it would replace LinkedIn. Um, That's that'd a be very cool. respectable goal. Yeah. To be honest, though, I only just got that. I, like, to be totally candid with you, to show you how much it shifts, I, I only just got got on one about LinkedIn like forty minutes ago. <laughs> like as we were talking yeah. about credentials, I'm like, wait a second, there's an opportunity. Talk about <laughs> so, LinkedIn, yeah. You know, but um, yeah. it's, but, but the that. fact that it's that. not a company, I mean, like I don't need to have like I it, I don't I don't have a giant giant vision um every day that I'm like rowing towards. But if I did, uh, yeah, community finding people that don't have access to the circles, giving them access. What if I called it circles? I won't call it circles. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's no, the, that uh, yeah. that's, that's the idea. <laughs> the, the important thing I'm getting from you though, is the fact that I think similar to one of the invariants we set for ourselves uh, is just that we wanted to enjoy doing it every day. And it sounds like, you know, as tough as this is for you uh, and the, the vision changes all the time. And you also have, you know, a job and you have, and you do these, uh, podcast recordings back to back it sounds to me like you really enjoy what you're doing and i think everything like nothing else matters when that's true it's so fun man and the fact that i get to talk to people smarter than me every day and <laughs> and i get to you know if someone you know there's someone that lives in like i don't know omaha nebraska who no one's ever heard of if i think this person's a genius i can literally say yo susan from omaha come on my podcast and like, no, it's not going to get millions of views. It's not even going to get like tens of thousands or sometimes thousands, but like it'll get views and people will know about you and you'll get hit up. And like, that's kind of a cool, I don't yeah. know. It's just, it just feels good that I, that yeah. I, I have that power to help people. I like that. Uh, cool. We'll I have a couple more questions for you. Then we'll wrap it up. Uh, speaking of back to back, I have someone popping on in 10 minutes. So uh, um, man, today was like gnarly. <laughs> today was gnarly. Uh, so I, I think 
my, my one question for you is what are the biggest lessons that you've taken away on your journey so far in startups? You know, you've been on quite a journey, but also the, the, the a big journey is, you know, ahead of you, but so far, uh, what have you learned? Yeah, that's uh that's a good question. Lots of stuff. I think this year more than anything else, you know, regardless of how winter goes, uh, whether we succeed and grow and become huge or whether it like all, you know, blows up in the next year, I think I'm going to take away a lot of skills and people, skills that I've learned, things that I've learned, the network that I have. Uh, if I had to boil it down to one important thing to share though, um, I'd probably say, uh, yeah, one thing that was hard for me to to I, 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 I still don't think I'm great at this. One thing that was really hard for me to learn to do uh, over the past year of working at a startup was to treat myself as more than my startup. Uh, you know, obviously people glamorize Silicon Valley and starting a company and so like you know, being up every day to like 3 a.m. and just putting in the hours and drinking energy drinks or and a lot of coffee or stuff like that. And uh, I think, it can get really hard to disconnect, I think. Uh, for me, it was really hard at the beginning. And eventually, I just burnt out pretty badly uh, from just pulling in those late hours all the time and just you know, not giving myself the freedom to do anything else. And one thing I noticed was really bad about myself is even even if I did go work out at the gym or go like spend an hour or two like you know with friends, I would feel guilty about not spending the time working on my startup. And that's what I meant. Like, I couldn't disassociate me being a person who's working on a startup versus like me just being my startup. I think that's important to learn how to disassociate yourself from your startup, being able to like know that this is work, like any other job, you don't want it to continue your life uh, and just having work-life balance. Uh, I think it's easy for people to forget and it was easy for me to forget. Uh, I, I learned that the hard way. What are your thoughts on this concept of instead of thinking of it as work-life balance it's the first time you know some people say work-life blend which you know has kind of got popularized too but i'm i heard this thing called work-life um crap work-life flywheel have you heard of that i'm not no the whole idea is that like you if your work is good then that feeds into your personal life which if your personal life is good and you're and you're nurturing it you're spending time with your, your, your wife, your kids, your friends, et cetera, then that goes into your work, right? which Absolutely. goes into the, the, and then it's like this flywheel and it, does, it doesn't go unless they're both going, but instead of like the balance, it's a flywheel. I don't know. I, I just, I heard that somewhere. I just thought it was an interesting way to think about it. That's an interesting way to think about it. I think I understand, even, even though you didn't explain it to me, I think I understand what you meant by work-life blend. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more not having not not treating yourself well personally like definitely affects work as much as i didn't think that was true uh, for the longest time so yeah i think that's definitely true and sometimes you know if there's a, if there's an issue with work or you feel like you're hitting a slump as a consequence of what you, what you just said it might not be work right it actually might be you have a personal issue you have to go deal with until you get that off your mind uh till you start out that personal issue you're not going to be able to work well anyway um, those two things, yeah. Uh, it's not just a balance where you can turn off and turn on the other thing. Uh, both those, both those two things do blend. I think the pinwheel analogy really makes sense. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I got 
one more question for you before we call it a day. We have gone all over the place here and you've kept up a crazy good conversation. So appreciate that. Um, Sometimes I feel like I, I, bring up some of these opaque topics and people just, they just, they, 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 they respond in like a good way, but it's hard. Sometimes like the jam doesn't happen. I feel like we're jamming, which is good. Yeah. No, um, me too. Anytime. My last question is you are on a journey, my friend, and it is a hard journey. It's being a startup founder. It's created, it's willing an idea into the world and dealing with people's apathy and turning apathy into hell. Yeah. I just made that up, but it's hard, right? And you need help where you can get it, just like any startup founder. And you got people listening to this podcast that know this question is coming. The question is, how can the forward-thinking founders community help you? Is there an ask you can make of a listener? Is there something you want the community to do to help you out? How can we help? Absolutely. So I was thinking if this question referred today, and I knew I didn't, I did not want to say, hey, sign up for Windsor. Although, if you do that, that definitely does help me. I was going to go a different route and I was just going to say, um, so oh yeah, how, I guess, how about this? Uh, if you're, if you're a listener, uh, and you're working on your own product or you work at a startup or you're, yeah, whatever you're, you're, you're doing something next time you're considering using some SAS tool. Uh, just think about you know, be really deliberate about it because SAS I feel today is starting to solve like a lot of problems. You know, we have like things for payments, you have things for tickets, you have things for feature requests. SaaS is such an easy alternative to building things yourself. And that's great. And I really like where we're going. But think about where that data goes. Because when you use a new SaaS tool, some tools let you, you know, give you an API, let you have like free access to your data because ultimately it is your data. Uh, but some of them don't, and some of them make it really hard or impossible or charge you a lot of money to get access to your own like user data. Uh, and it might not matter now. You might just want to you know, get that like really cool live chat feature uh, that works uh, and looks like nicer than Intercom with the other ones. But think about whether or not you're going to be able to get the data later on. Uh, even if it doesn't matter now, in the future, it's going to be invaluable. Uh, you can't improve customer experience if you don't know what your customers experience. right? And you can't... Uh, give them better products if you don't know what they're buying. You can't improve the landing page if you don't know what the issues of the landing page are. So you need to know things. And even if you can't do anything today, uh, just think about where the data goes and if, whether or not you can get the data. So I guess my ask is just be more deliberate about uh, how you use SAS. It can get messy. All right. I like it. Well, thank you for coming on and jamming for an hour. Appreciate it. And best yeah, of luck. So much, man. Best of luck on your journey. Keep it up and, you know, let let me know how I can help along the way. Absolutely, Matt.